Thanks for listening to a YPC podcast. We believe God wants to do so much for you and through you, and we'd love to hear about it. Take a second to send your story to office at ypcprior.com and enjoy the message. Hey, hey, hey. Good to see you guys today. Welcome to church. Happy Mother's Day to all the moms in the house. And I'm going to do it again because she is the mother of our house, but she's also the mom of the church. Ladies and gentlemen, Tyra Reigns, we love you. Happy Mother's Day. I actually had the idea to point to her before they did. They thought she, that they would model, you know, she'd model the virtue merch. Uh, but I did, I did want to take a moment just to say that she is amazing, not just to our family, but to, to yours. And uh, we've got a true gift in her. And uh, I'm excited for that. So all the ladies that are going to Virtue one night, like, you will get to see that gift first in, firsthand. Like, you just sign up and go. I know they have the booth up out front. You can sign up out in the, they got a little kiosk area out there. Sign up there because it's going to be an amazing, amazing night. Also, just wanted to recognize all the graduates, any high school or college graduates this year. One back here. Anybody else? Right here. Good. Anybody else? Right here's one, right? All right, come on. Give it up for the graduates. You did it. You did it. You know, I joke about this a lot, but my, kid, my kids, I don't know if you know what senior-itis is, but senior-itis is like, I don't want to go to school. I just want this to be done. I want it to be over. All three of my kids had senior-itis in 10th grade. Like, they were just, they were done. I don't want to go to school. And so for the fact that our youngest is graduating uh, next week, that is a huge, huge deal. And so we are, it's like, check, done, finished, all right. We have fulfilled our obligation, and so uh, I'm excited for all the graduates. Um, well done. You made it. Uh, for those of you who will be walking uh, in the next week or so, um, we'll be there for, for Pryor's graduation, and we'll be cheering you on from the very packed, very congested, very hot grandstand. So we're looking forward to it. Woo! Getting there at 4.30 and saving seats. Amen! So if you've been to Pryor's graduation, you know exactly what I'm talking about. So anyway... What do you think of when I say the word love? I mean, think about that for just a second. What do you think of when I say the word love? Maybe it's two sweethearts holding hands. Maybe it could be a, the, the love a, mo- a mother has for her child. It could be the love that a soldier has for his country and is willing to lay his life down for her. Well, when most of us think about love, if we've been around church for any length of times, then a scripture, our mind thinks about a certain scripture. And that scripture is very familiar to us. It's found in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. And I'm just going to read it. If I speak in the tongues of men or of angels, but do not have love, I'm only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give, my, give over my body to hardships that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. And then verse 4 is the, the, the scripture that we hear a lot at weddings and different things like that. Because it goes into love is patient, love is kind. It does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking, it is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Verse 8 says that love 
never fails. But where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when completeness comes, what is in part disappears. When I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put, away, I put the ways of childhood behind me. For now we see only a reflection as in a mirror. Then we'll see face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I'm fully known. Verse 13 finishes by saying, and now these three remain, faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love. And I think as a Christian, for those of us who've been around the Word of God and around church for a while, we read through scriptures like this, and it's easy, if we're not careful, to kind of just start rehearsing them. You know what I mean? Because we've heard them so often. It's kind of like the lines of a movie that you've seen over and over and over again, right? Tyra and I, we always watch Christmas movies. I know it's like summertime. Don't talk about Christmas. It's, it's, it's too early, Darian. I won't. But we always watch the same Christmas movies. We've got our favorites. And because I've seen them so many times, I'll, I'll say the line before they say it on, on the movie, and she's like, stop, stop, we know you know the movie, right? Especially like Scrooge, you know, that one I'm always, and I do the Jim Carrey version, the one that Disney made, and I always, I always say that one, um, you're nothing but a bit of potato. Anyway, so, uh, undigested meat, anyway, this is one of those things, but she's, She's like, stop doing that. And if we're not careful, we'll treat the Word of God that way, especially scriptures that we're familiar with. And all scripture has a tendency to become that if we allow it to. So that's why when we sit in services, and even though we hear familiar scriptures, or in life groups, or just in one-on-one, let's don't let the familiar scriptures continue to just be familiar. Let's read them again it's like, as if it's the first time we've read them. You can constantly grow, constantly learn from the Word of God if you'll set your filter of your mind to see it through that way. Does that make sense, friends? When in truth, we all think about the concept of love and we think of it as more of a theory. We don't want to put hands and feet on love. We want it to remain a theory. We want it to remain something that's, that's fluffy. But love, if it remains in the emotional realm, in the fluffy realm, as the Word of God says, it's really nothing. Love is too beautiful of a concept to just be locked up behind the thoughts and emotions of our mind. Simply put, I believe as we read through 1 Corinthians chapter 13, we actually see that love does something. Love in its purest form is not just You know, it's not just a a state of being or emotionalism. Love actually does something. And when we ask God, what is it that you you see in your place church? Why did you bring your place church to Mays County? For those of you who are new with us, we're celebrating 10 years this year. And so we've been asking ourselves, what is inside of your place church, God, that you want inside of the people of Mays County? One of those things is this abundant love that we have for people. This, the whole reason your place church is here is to reach and love people. Abundant love is one of our core values, and I want to talk about that this morning. 
So let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the fact that the entrance of your word brings light and it brings understanding. And Father, that's what we're looking for. Father, I know I've got some notes on a screen, but Lord, my heart today is to say what you want to say. And so my prayer is, God, that even as we go through these scriptures and these thoughts, God, that you would make this message apply to every single person who's in the room today, who is watching online, who is, who is listening to the podcast. Father God, that this message becomes so real and applicable to us, Father, because of your spirit that's leading us. In Jesus' name, amen. A few years ago, uh, there was a handful of us here at church that got a hold of a book by an author. Um, he's a human rights activist. He's a lawyer. Spends a lot of time in Uganda. Uh, and he's a Christian, uh, which is a bonus because we're reading Christian books. Amen. Um, but his name's Bob Goff. And he wrote a book several years ago called or titled Love Does. And so it's right along these concepts. And a lot of us, um, we did a series on it. A lot of us have really been inspired by it. And in chapter one of the book, he tells this story of when he was in high school. He also had senioritis, okay? So like he found out that he could take a test and get a piece of paper that was the equivalent of a high school diploma. And so he's like, then why am I in high school, right? I'll just take this GED test and they'll give me a piece of paper and it works the same way. And so before he did that, he actually had, uh, he had met a guy who was a part of Young Life he said he was just a super cool dude. He said he had three things that Bob didn't have. He had a beard, he had a girlfriend, and he had a motorcycle, right? And so he really liked him because of that. But um, he, he met him, and one day Bob wakes up. He says, you know what, I'm done with high school. And because he'd made such a great relationship with this guy named Randy, the bearded motorcycle guy, right, with the girlfriend, uh, he, come, he, he showed up at Randy's house. He packed his VW bug full of all the stuff that he needs. He's running away, dropping out of high school. He's going to go move to Yosemite, right? He's going to go climb rocks. And so he tells, knocks on the, or rings the doorbell. It's early Sunday morning. Rings the doorbell. Randy, with bed head, comes up, rubbing the sleep out of his eyes, I'm imagining, in boxers and a T-shirt, you know? Like, bro, what are you doing? He's like, I'm leaving. I'm moving to Yosemite. I'm dropping out of high school. I'm on my way. And Randy looks at him, and he says, well, when, when, when are you going? And he, he puts his chest out, and he says, I'm leaving right now. And he says, well, hang on. He kind of walks back to his master bedroom. A couple minutes later, he comes out with a backpack and a sleeping bag. He's like, let's go. And Bob looks at him, and he's like, well, are, what, what are you doing? Are you, are you coming with me? He's like, yeah. He says, you need to know something, Bob. Whatever you do, I'm with you. I'm with you. And so he's like, okay, cool. So they get in his little bug, and they drive, and nightfall comes, and they, they land in Yosemite, and uh, they sneak into the back of a campground where there's all these rental tents available. They sneak into a tent, and they spend the night. The next day, they do everything you do at Yosemite. They hike trails. They climb rocks. They, Bob says, you know what? If I'm going to live here, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to need a job, and so he starts to look for jobs, and this one said no, and then the next one said no, and then the next one said no. Bob jokes in the book, he says, it's like all the business leaders got together and said, hey, the guy in the VW, don't give him a job, right? It's because every time he walked into a place, they all told him no. He said after a couple of days, two, three days of this, he started looking at his resources, the money's going away, no one's giving him a job. He looks at Randy, 
And he says, you know what, I, don't, I just don't think this is going to work. I think I better go back home. I'm going to go back home. I'm going to go, I'm going to finish school. And Randy looks at him and he says, whatever you do, I'm with you. And so they got back in his little VW Beetle and they headed home. And he says, as he was driving down the familiar streets of Randy's house, and he pulls up into Randy's driveway, he sees Randy's girlfriend's car in the driveway. And he was like, he didn't think anything about it because, you know, she comes over all the time. Randy walks in the door. Bob walks back in also right behind him, uninvited but strangely welcomed. And he comes in, and Bob notices. He looks around, and he sees all of these gifts laying in the floor. And it wasn't, he's thinking, did, did Randy have a birthday? Like, what is, but... But it was strange gifts, like a microwave, a toaster oven, right? And it's like half out of the box on the couch. And then he said about that time, you know, he sees Randy's girlfriend run around from the back room and embrace Randy and hug him and said, welcome home, honey. And then he said the nickel dropped. He's like, these aren't birthday gifts. These are wedding presents. And he says... Instead of spending his first few days with his brand new bride on their honeymoon, Randy dropped everything and went with this knucklehead kid who had this dream of living and working in Yosemite. And he said, in that moment, I learned something. When he says, I'm with you, he means I'm with you. And he said that love is not just a feeling, love is does something. Amen, everyone? It makes sense. You know, we can turn everyday opportunities into experiences with God. Love takes risks for people and takes risks with people. It follows them into life. Love is there when they need us the most. That's why this scripture in 1 Corinthians chapter uh, 13 verse 7 says, love always protects, always, that's the key word, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. And we've, we've always had, we've always said this about, about life. People don't need you when, when it's convenient. People need you when they need you. People need you when they need you, not when it's convenient. And abundant love is available for people. And we see a great example of this, this wherever you go, I'm with you kind of thought in the story of Ruth, which is a great Mother's Day message if you think about it. Ruth was the daughter-in-law of Naomi. Both her and her sister-in-law and Naomi had lost their husbands. Now, Naomi had two sons. They married Ruth and Ophrah, which are these two sister-in-laws, right? And they had all three lost their husbands. And Naomi had decided to go back to the town where she grew up, and her daughters-in-law were coming with her. Ruth chapter 1, verse 8. Then Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go back, each of you, to your mother's home. Which, honestly... Is what they, is what, if you think about it, it's what any normal, common person would do. And then she said, may the Lord show you kindness if you've shown kindness to your dead husbands and to me. May the Lord grant that each of you will find rest in the home 
of another husband. So Naomi's even recognizing, girls, you're young. You still have so much life ahead of you. Go find another husband and live happily ever after. Then she kissed them goodbye. They wept aloud and, and said to her, we will go back with you to your people. So both of the daughters are saying this, right? But no, no excuse me, Naomi said, return home, my daughters. Why would you come with me? Am I going to have any more sons who could become your husbands? In other words, it's honorable. I recognize what you're trying to do, but go live your lives. Go begin again. Sounds like a Taylor Swift song, doesn't it? Go begin again. Verse 14, at this they wept aloud, and Ophrah, Orpah, I'm saying pha, but it's pa, Orpah kissed her mother-in-law goodbye, but Ruth clung to her. Look, said Naomi, your sister-in-law is going back to her people and her gods. Go back with her. But Ruth replied, don't urge me to leave you or to turn back from you. You kind of see Ruth get a little stern here. Where you go... I will go. This is that I'm with you moment. Where you stay, I'll, I will stay. Your people will be my people and your God, my God. In fact, where you die, I will die. And there I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if even death separates you and me. Like, this is pretty hard words. Like, she has no intentions on leaving her. I'm with you. I'm with you to the very end. Verse 18, when Naomi realized that Ruth was determined to go with her, she stopped urging her, which makes me think, I've actually got four thoughts today for you about abundant love. And my first one is this, abundant love does not give up. It doesn't give up. It's not worried about how convenient it is. It's not worried about its current personal schedule. It's not worried about its own goals and dreams. It doesn't give up. And maybe Ruth just felt obligated to take her husband's mother in. We don't know. What was it about it? I, I don't know. Maybe she saw something in Naomi that she wanted inside of herself. We all know people in our lives that have something. Maybe they've got some success in a certain area, and we wish, man, if we could just take them to coffee, if we could just go to lunch with them, I want to I ask them some questions, right? We had that in our early parenting days. Tyra and I, our kids were little. We're back in Topeka, and there was this family. They were successful. They had four kids, two boys, two girls. And here's what we noticed about their children. They just liked each other. I mean, of course you'd love them. They're your siblings, right? But they actually liked each other. They would go on dates with just the siblings. Like the siblings would go on dates together and just hang out. And the way they respected their parents, the way they loved their parents. And today, they're all, they're all successful in life. And so back then, Tyra and I were like, man, there's something about that family. And uh, they owned a furniture store, and so we'd go, we'd buy our furniture for them, from them, and then we would look for opportunities just to hang out with them. You know, we, they went to church with us, and so we would find moments where we could sit at their table, maybe at church events. And then if, we, if they ever invited us over to their home, we thought it was a special treat. And any time we could corner them, we would say, how did you do it? Like, your family's so great. 
And they were always so gracious and humble, and they always smiled, and they taught us things. They taught us the phrase that we've, come, that we've recognized. Dr. Henry Cloud said this in his, in, his, in his book, but he said, the culture of your home, they taught us this without saying these phrase, this phrase, the culture of your home is either something you create or that you allow. So we were intentional since our kids were little to create the culture of the home that we wanted. We wanted our home to be filled with laughter so we didn't yell. We wanted our home to be filled with love. And so no matter what, our children knew that we loved them unconditionally. And the byproduct it is now they're all, again, successful. Like they all, you know, they're all doing something in life. And so we purposed to get close to people who had something that we wanted inside of us. There was something inside of them that we wanted inside of us, just like Ruth and Saul and Naomi. Which leads me to this question, friends. Who is there in your life that you've recognized there's something in them that needs to be in you? Get close to them. What characteristics of love are demonstrated in them, and what do you need to learn from them? Get around people that you want to be like and just begin to do life with them. Take them out to lunch. Have coffee. You know what? Join their life group. I know in the fall there's going to be several parenting life groups that are going to start. Listen, if you want help, get around parents who are wildly successful at it. They will help you. Find, we got a new, we got summer life group starting here in less than a month. Man, find a summer life group that works with your schedule. And if you have to, adjust your schedule to be a part of that. I'm telling you, it'll pay. And you'll be thankful that you did. As we continue with the story here, we read where Naomi and Ruth showed up at Naomi's hometown. And instantly, Ruth went to work. Chapter 2, verse 2. And Ruth, the Moabite, said to Naomi, let me go to the fields and pick up the leftover grain behind anyone whose eyes have I find favor. Naomi said to her, go ahead, my daughter. So she went out, entered a field, and began to glean behind the harvesters. Now, what that means is the harvesters would come through. They didn't have big old machinery back then. They harvested with these sweeps, and some of the ladies would come up behind them and pick up uh, huge bundles, and they would bundle them. Well, there was a lot of grain left on the ground, right? Naomi, I'm sorry, Ruth would come up behind them and start gleaning all of that. She'd start picking up all that stuff. As it turned out, she was working in the field belonging to Boaz, who was from the clan of Elimelech. Now, Elimelech is a part of Naomi's husband's family, right? Like, this is, this is a part of her husband's family. Like, this is, they're related. And the second thing that I realized from this story is love does what's necessary to take care of your family. Love does what's necessary to just get the job done. They have no food. They have no jobs. They don't even have a place to live. So what does Ruth do? She goes behind and she starts picking up the scraps that the harvesters are leaving behind. Now, this probably wasn't ideal. Like, this is not Ruth's degree that she graduated with, right? This wasn't where her experience was pointing her. This was not on her bucket list, right? But yet she did what was necessary to provide for them. But sometimes you just have to do that. 
Sometimes you just got to get down and you have to do it. It's not a life sentence. It's just a season. Well, that's not my calling. This is not my calling. My calling is this. Well, no one says, you know, you're operating in your calling the whole time. Sometimes you'll live in seasons on your way to your calling. Are you with me, friends? When our family was young, I, there, was, I, there was a season that I wanted to be in full-time ministry. Like, I wanted to be paid to do this. It was my dream to be able to give myself completely over to the work of God. And how noble of a dream is that? But there was no churches that wanted to pay me to do that, right? I was just very young, very green in ministry, so I volunteered my guts out. Um, there was plenty of churches that would take a volunteer, and so we volunteered as youth pastors. And during that season, I was an ASE-certified auto mechanic. And every day, I would come home exhausted. I'd have grease under my fingernails, busted in bloody knuckles, despising changing oil and fixing brakes and changing belts and alternators and starters and transmissions. Like, I did not want to do it. And I longed for the day that, that God would find me faithful and put me in full-time ministry. But I realized something during those seasons. I learned more about integrity, about character, about doing a job with excellence. And I learned more about honesty. During those days, I learned, I used the traits that I learned all the way back when I was turning wrenches to more today than probably any other, any other gift that I've learned any other talent that I've learned. And I thank God for those days. Are you with me, friends? But I did what was necessary. I had three, back then two, two kids that depended on me. And sometimes we just have to stick it out. Sometimes we just, especially in an economy where you may have to get a job that's not even in your field, you have to do what you can do to take care of your family. And God will help. God will provide. 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 8 says, Anyone who does not provide for their relatives, and especially their own household, has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. That's harsh language. But it's New Testament. What's the scripture saying? We have a godly responsibility to take care of our families. And abundant love just does what's necessary. But here's what I've also found out. As we finish the story of Ruth, we see the benefits of what love does. We see these love does opportunities. And all too often, we think it's just a job. It's this season will never change, right? It's not true. God always honors faithfulness. He always honors faithfulness. Psalm 75 Verse 6, this is the King James Version, says, For promotion comes not from the east, nor from the west, or from the south, but God is the judge. He puts down one and sets up another. What does that mean? Your promotion? You know, so many times we're, we're trusting our boss to, to, to watch and see what's going on in life. Like, man, I sure hope they see all the hours I'm putting in. We're, we're hoping that, that promotion comes from someone they have the power to make my life better. I hope they notice me. But according to this scripture, it ain't, it ain't them. 
God says, no, 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 no. You need to understand, I have the ability to rise one into office and to take one out. Promotion comes from God. Think about that in your particular situation right now. You're like, man, I, there's been other, pe- other people here longer than I've been here. Promotion comes from God. And he finds faithfulness huge and love huge. God honors faithfulness. Naomi didn't pick up scraps for long before Boaz, the owner of the enterprise, noticed her. Chapter 2, verse 5, Boaz asked the overseer of his harvesters, who does that young woman belong to? I love this. He had such, he knew his, he knew his labors. He knew his, his employees, right? And he saw a young lady out there and he, she, she didn't belong. Who, who does she belong to? The overseer replied, she's the Moabite who came back from Moab with Naomi. She said, please let me glean and gather among the, the sheaves behind the, the harvesters. She came into the field and has remained here from morning till now, except for a short rest in the, in, in the shelter. In other words, even the harvesters are like, that woman will work around, like she'll work circles around our guys. She's been here since sunup to sundown. She's, she worked the whole time, and she only took a little break. I feel like this generation's lost that a little bit. Are you with me, friends? But we're bringing it back, amen? We are bringing it back. Don't just try to get out of work, guys. Don't just try to look for ways to make your job easier. God is the one who brings promotion. You know, I was at an, I was at an event. It's not my notes, but I think it, 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 it's worth saying. I was at an event a couple of years ago in Friar. It was where all the educators had gotten together. They invited some of us to be a part of it, so we're listening. And we're talking about how can we help prior, you know, from a workforce education to be ready, workforce ready. And a lot of the, the, the business owners and leaders from the industrial park were there. And I'll never forget it. I was sitting in the room, and I had a guy from, and I don't remember which plant he was from, but he stood up, and he said, I got a, I got a statement. And Dr. Don Rowling was there, and he was like, go ahead. He says, if you will just give me one person, in fact, in fact, give me anybody who will show up on time, put in a good solid eight, eight hours of work, and leave at quitting time, I'll pay them $15 an hour right now. You just give, like, I understand education's a big deal, and that's why we're all here, but just give me someone who will be here when we tell them to be here who will do what we tell them to do and leave when, when it's time to go home, I'll pay them $15 an hour. And this was a couple of years ago. And so there's not a lack of work. There's a lack of people who are willing to work. Whew, I feel like I'm trudging uphill here. All right. Come on, Lord, help me. Moving right along. All right, verse 8. So Boaz said to Ruth, my daughter, listen to me. Don't go and glean in another field and don't go away from here. Stay here with the women who work for me. Watch the field where the men are harvesting and follow along after the women. I've told the men not to lay a hand on you. I can imagine that staff meeting. Hey, guys, don't be jerk to the new girl, right? Don't be, don't be pigs, right? And so I've told the men not to lay a hand on you. And where, whenever you're thirsty, just go and get a drink from the water jars the men have filled. At this, she bowed down with her face to the ground. And she asked him, why have I found such favor in your eyes that you would notice me, a foreigner? 
Boaz replied, I've been told all about what you've done for your mother-in-law since the death of, of your husband and how you left your father and your mother and your homeland and came to live with a people you did not know before. What's happening right here? The light of God's favor is shining on her. Undoubtedly, he had hundreds of workers that worked for him, but for whatever reason, he's noticing her. May the Lord repay you for what you've done. May you be richly rewarded by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. May I continue to find favor in your eyes, my Lord, she said. You, you have put me at ease by speaking kindly to your servant, though I do not have the standing of one of your servants. We could, we could say employees right there. Which leads me to my last thought. Walking with God and walking out abundant love is always rewarded. God always pays his debts. God always brings promotion. First Corinthians 13 says, love never fails. Let me just speak to the mom, the grandparents in the room who you've been praying for your children. Love never fails. For the lady who's here by yourself today wishing your husband would just come, or the, the, the man wishing your wife would just come, love never fails. To the students who's believing God for their parents, are you with me, friends? The ones who have wayward co-workers, wayward children. We have chapter and verse that says love never fails. And abundant love makes a difference. One of these days it's going to be just like Simon Peter on the road where it's like scales fell from his eyes, right? It's like all of a sudden he just saw something. All of a sudden, your husband, your child, your grandchild, your friend, your family member, your coworker, if you never give up, if you always love, if you constantly love, if you're, if you're, if you're, if you're praying for them, there's going to be a day that like the scales just fall from their eyes and it's just going to be like, okay, I get it. I see that you're a different person. I see that how much that church means to you or your church-like family or I see how much God means to you. I, I can tell your life is different. You live in such great peace and happiness. I want that. And there's going to be a day. Mark it down. Why? Because we have chapter and verse that says love never fails. Amen, everyone? We finish the story here and you'll see that Boaz actually marries Ruth. It's a pretty sappy romantic story. If you're a romantic, you should read Ruth because it gets to this place in chapter 4, right? She dresses up all pretty-like. It's like a scene from a movie, you know, the working girl. She decides that she's going to make the move, right? So she, she, she gets herself all dolled up. She puts on a pretty dress, right? Squirts some squirty stuff on. Smells real nice. And she sneaks in to where Boaz is hanging out in the grain press. Because that's where all love starts, is in the grain press, okay? She goes into the grain press. Boaz notices her. And the scripture doesn't say this, but I'm pretty sure he was like, dang, girl. No, I mean, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. But he, he notices her, okay? 
the Bible says in verse 13, so Boaz took Ruth and she became his wife. He was a godly man. Like he put the moves on her, but he didn't go all the way because that's, you know, he's a godly man. But the Bible says when he made love to her, the Lord enabled her to conceive. She gave birth to a son. The woman said to Naomi, praise be to the Lord who this day has not left you. Talking to Naomi, who's not left you without a guardian redeemer. May he become famous throughout Israel. He will renew your life and sustain you in your old age. For your daughter-in-law, who loves you, who is better to you than seven sons, has given him birth. Then Naomi took the child in her arms and cared for him. Oh, thanks, Mom. And the woman living there, the women living there said, Naomi has a son. It was her grandson, but it's a son. And they named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, who was the father of King David. Like David and Goliath, like the stories that we know, was all the result of one woman's abundant love. Not only for her family, but for a group of people. Her one decision not only changed the life for them, but changed the life for us. Because many of you know, Jesse had David, and Jesus was from the line of David. So the Jesus, the reason why Jesus was even was able to come and, and fulfill his calling in the earth was because he came from the line of David, who came from Jesse, who came from Obed, who came from one woman's decision to live an uncommon life in a very common world, who chose to live abundant love. God always takes care of his people. When you think that you've done everything that you've known to do, watch. God's getting ready to move. Allow him to write the next chapter in your life. Abundant love is not just a theory or an emotion. Love has hands. It has feet. Love says, I am with you because love doesn't give up. And sometimes love is messy, and it requires work, but love does what's necessary, even if it isn't ideal. And we'll see that God rewards faithfulness, and seasons do pass. Things do change, and God always blesses. Abundant love is something that God wants on the inside of you. He wants it on the inside of me. So look for ways to love people unconditionally. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we love you. We're so thankful for this story because, God, it, it show, it's, so, it's such a great example of what love does in the lives of so many. Father, we know that Obed, had Jesse, which had David, which leads us to Jesus. And Jesus, because of his great love for us, paid the ultimate sacrifice for us. God, we wouldn't be here today without Jesus. And so many of us in the room, we've never began a relationship with Jesus. And today, we recognize what Jesus did, the love that he showed for us. 
And if you're in the room and your heads are bowed and your eyes are closed, I'm not going to take a, a long time to do this, but we do recognize that there are people at different varying degrees and levels of your awareness of God. We've always said you don't have to believe to belong. You're welcome here. But maybe you're in the room today. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. No one's looking around. This is between you and Jesus. I'm not going to embarrass you. We're not going to have you stand up or come forward. I just want to know, do you need a relationship with Jesus? Do you need to rededicate your life? Maybe you once had a relationship with Jesus, but you walked away from him. The Bible says that today is the day of salvation. So if that's you, not going to take a lot of time. I just want to know who I can pray for. If that's you, put your hand up and put it right back down. Can I pray for you today? Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Anybody else like that? Come on, the Lord's moving right here, right now. Let's just give it a little time. Thank you. Let's give it a second here. Thank you. You can put your hands down. Anybody else like that? I can pray with you. Thank you. You can put your hand down. Anybody else? Thank you. God's moving in this room. Amen. Thank you. Anybody else? We don't want to. We don't. We don't want to take time, a lot of time, but we don't want to. We don't want to run past the moment either. Anybody else? Come on. Well, because the Bible says if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth, you'll be saved. And because we believe so much that a prayer, the salvation prayer, is the the starting point to a relationship with Jesus, I'm just going to invite everybody in the room to pray this prayer out loud with me. That way those who raised their hands or should have raised their hands but didn't can pray this prayer out loud. And this prayer is, this is door number one for you. This is the, this is the key to the rest of your life. So if you raise your hands or should have raised your hands as we pray this prayer together, you just connect something down in your heart with the words, okay? Say this with me, everybody. Say, Heavenly Father, thank you for Jesus, that he died and rose again for me. And right now, Jesus, I invite you, come and live inside of me. I'm choosing today to spend the rest of my life in a relationship with you, in Jesus' name. Come on, give them a hand clap today, amen. It's a big You've deal. You've been listening to a YPC podcast. Visit our website at ypcprior.com to hear more.